Hello, I'm your host, Aaron Rittmaster. Welcome to the Man Cave, where joining me tonight for Diz Dad's podcast number 584 for July 15th, 2018 are Murray Conway. Hey, everybody. Michael Ty. How's everybody doing? And a last minute uh, pinch hitter here for Dave Jewart, Paul. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. So tonight, we're actually going to get started with the matchups for our 2018 summer tournament. Uh, yes, yes, I know. I'm sorry. The tournament's getting underway rather late in the summer. Uh, apologize for that. But, you know, it's worth waiting for. Um, this is the, the 2018 version of the My Walt Disney World tournament. It's the first time we have revisited a previous summer tournament topic. Uh, but, you know, since the last one of these started back on June 24th, 2012, we figured it was about time to update. But before we dive into these matchups, I do need to take a moment and thank our podcast sponsor, Mouse Master Travel, an authorized Disney vacation planner. Let a Mouse Master agent take care of the stressful parts of vacation planning so that you can focus on the fun. You can check them out at MouseMasterTravel.com. All right, gentlemen. Uh, now, I, I should probably you know, remind our listeners, everybody who tuned in last week for the uh, you know, Setting the Field podcast, you may have noticed that the panel for this first round is completely different than the panel that you heard last week, Picking the Field. Uh, that was done intentionally. The range of opinions here at, uh, you know, among the Diz Dads community is pretty broad. And we felt like by mixing things up here a bit, uh, we would kind of help maybe avoid some of the completely out of left field, uh, you know, results. Um, maybe by, by distributing the opinions out a bit, we'd, we'd, you know, push the decisions closer to a normal curve. How's that? Um, and so these first round matchups you're going to hear us talking about are all going to be from one region. And what, what I've done is designated these regions after the person on our setting the field podcast who picked the top seed in these particular regions. Cause as you recall, as I said last week, this entire field is set by that panel that made the selections last week. All I did was take their picks and lay them out in a great big S curve, kind of like the, you know, NCAA selection committee does only without as much discretion. So with that long winded introduction, we bring you the very first matchup of the tournament. It's a nighttime spectacular versus nighttime spectacular matchup in the first uh, game of the Nate region. We have, Top seed Happily Ever After matched up with 16 seed Rivers of Light from the Animal Kingdom. Now, I have to ask, is there anybody here on our panel who's ready to make an argument even for Rivers of Light to advance? I mean, they are a 16 seed. Absolutely. I uh, When I first saw this matchup, I was surprised that it was one versus 16. And I would... I would actually pick Rivers of Light. Um, it's it's not so much a, a knock on Happily Ever After, which is a fine show, and what they do now with the projections are great. But I just think the importance of Rivers of Light to Animal Kingdom and putting that in, you know, to give that park something at night when it desperately needed it. Um, and it is kind of a cool show. It's different. They do a lot of kind of different things than just your trying kind of traditional, you know, firework or projection show. So. I actually, I would, I would take Rivers of Light over Happily Ever After. All right, so, so Paul has has made an argument for Rivers of Light. Uh, you know, Michael or, or Murray, you want to argue with him here? Um, it's just unfortunately, Rivers of Light is a, uh, it's a bad seat at sixteen going up against Happily Ever After. Uh, it's a Rivers of Light is a good show, but when you compare it against Happily Ever After, it just doesn't compare. It is very important to Animal Kingdom, but unfortunately, it can't meet the main nighttime draw at the Magic Kingdom. All right, all right. So, so Murray, you you've heard Paul's somewhat impassioned argument for Rivers of Light. 
you, you've heard Michael, you know, give us the explanation why Happily Ever After is a, a one seed after all. Were you swayed one way or the other? Well, I already was uh, kind of leaning towards Happily Ever After as it is. Um, I have yet to see either of these in person. Uh, oh, okay. So uh, Happily Ever After to, uh, came out just after my last trip. So, um, But I've seen that on YouTube, uh, but I have not seen Rivers of Light on YouTube. So I was leaning towards Happily Ever After anyway. Um, you know, as the Magic Kingdom, you know, nighttime spectacular, it's, you know, the classic, you know, not, it's not classic yet, but it, it is the, the, um, you know, home court advantage, uh, you know, as you know, it will. Um, but, uh, and I, I personally love the soundtrack. Um, I listen to it all the time. So, uh, I, I definitely would go with happily ever after over rivers of light anyway. Okay, so uh, that means that at this point, it's two to one, happily ever after, over Rivers of Light. And to remind our listeners, uh, when we do these tournaments, as the host, I only vote to make or break a tie. Um, if I make a tie, then we'll find a way between now and the next time there's a, a matchup involving the outcome of this, uh, you know, this matchup. To, to resolve this uh, with the listeners through a poll of some kind. I'm tempted to make a tie here uh, because I think Paul makes a really good argument about the importance of Rivers of Light and its impact on its park. Um, you know, Happily Ever After is a very nice evolution of the show that has been at Magic Kingdom. I mean, it, it, it's it's not Wishes, and and a lot of people would argue it doesn't have the emotional pull that Wishes did. The projections are beautiful, but they're really just sort of building on the what was a fireworks pre-show and just sort of blending them a bit more into the show. So there's an argument for a criticism here that that happily ever after, unlike. Rivers of Light it is just an evolution of what was already there, whereas Rivers of Light is truly a revolution from what was Animal Kingdom. I mean, it took Animal Kingdom from a 7 p.m. close to an 11 p.m. close a good chunk of the year. Um, and that's a huge difference. But even I can't talk myself into that. I try. I can't do it. Sorry. Fact is, I've seen how Happily Ever After, evolutionary or, or not, it's a beautiful show. Um, just stunningly beautiful. And they've shown already the adaptability of that show and the ability to update the uh, projection scenes and all of that. Uh, I think, as a result, it's a show that's going to be around for a long time. And um, I, I think that... As much as I would like to have seen Rivers of Light make it a little farther, um, not quite there yet. I, I think that that much like the first version of Illuminations wasn't quite there, I, I think that Rivers of Light, they, they've got some tinkering to do down the road, and, and we'll see. I think it's got great potential, but I don't think it's there yet. So Happily Ever After will advance to the second round. We have our first second round team, and our next matchup— it's a, it's a rather intriguing 8-9 matchup. The number 8 seed is our first non-theme park attraction entrant. Um, and so the 8 seed is The Void, the Star Wars VR experience in Disney Springs. And it is matched up in, in, in much the way that the Star Wars VR experience is the first of its kind for Walt Disney World, a you know, a virtual reality attraction. Mickey's PhilharMagic, the nine seed, was first of its kind as a three slash four D movie experience at Walt Disney World. It was really one of those, you know, the first of those immersive. Um, for lack, I mean, it's not what we think of now as a projection show, but it, it was a movie that had these not just 3D scenes, but actual other sensory involvement in them as well. Uh, so it's eight versus nine, and 
Murray, I'm going to ask you to get us started this time. Make an argument for one or the other. Well, I, I would tend to go on Mickey's Philharmagic um, anyway, but I still haven't seen The Void uh, yet either. But um, Mickey's Philharmagic is um, one of those classic attractions, um, and it harkens back to the um, you know the opening uh, of Walt Disney World with uh, you know the um, what was that original ride in that space. Um, no, not an original show in that space. Um, oh wow! Uh, so the the, the, the Mickey, uh, what was it called? Was it the um, review, the Mickey yeah, Mouse review, or Mickey something? Mouse, Mickey Mouse review. review? That's it. Mickey yeah. Mouse review. You know, it harkens back to that. Um, you know, even though it is three uh, D, four D experience, it and it's not you know animatronic, but it, it harkens back to that original type of 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 show and. Um, it brings the uh, classic characters and more into the into the into the park. All right, so Murray makes the case for classic 4D attraction, you know, 3D movie breaking the fourth wall. Um, anybody want to argue with them here and and make a pitch, make a case for the void? No, I'll, I um. Oh. I thought about it and, and I love star Wars. So there is a star Wars piece of it there, but it's, it's VR. And I think when you think about it, you just think about, you know, Philhar magic is more accessible to more people going in the park, seeing it in there. A VR experience is cool, but you can almost, you know, you're starting to get that technology at home and you can kind of see it in a lot of places and stuff. So you think about going to Disney world and experiencing the rides and attractions and shows and stuff. I think Philhar Magic is definitely more of a Disney World thing than a VR Star Wars experience. As much as, as I, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, and I think that the more they do of that, you know, the better in and out, in and outside of the parks, you know, even in Disney Springs. But um, I just I can't see it beating, you know, a, 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 I'll call it classic, but beating an attraction, you know, a, a semi-popular attraction, you know, inside the parks. I just I would go Philhar Magic all day. All right, all right. So wait, before Michael says anything. I, I want to make a plea here for him to give me a chance to make a tie because here, here's the piece that I think that we're overlooking about the void, the star Wars experience. I, I hear what you're saying about Phil, magic. It, it is a classic 3d attraction, but first of all, let's be honest. When we say classic 3d attraction, what we really mean is an attraction that doesn't meet modern standards. I mean, you know, there are plenty of other 3D film-based attractions at Walt Disney World even, let alone other theme parks. And once upon a time, Mickey's Magic was really impressive. Now, not so much. But to me, the bigger issue here and the better case comes from the fact that Mickey's Magic, as much as it breaks the fourth wall and, you know, spits water at you and does these other things, it's still a relatively passive experience. And, you know, you essentially sit back and take it in and each person does that individually. It's a movie, right? It's not unlike going to a theater and watching a movie. The Star Wars VR experience Maybe somewhat ironically, even though you're kind of isolated in this VR world, is a collaborative effort. So when you're doing this with your family, you're working together. It's almost like um, uh, almost like a breakout room kind of experience, right? Because you're trying to cooperate together to overcome this challenge in this virtual Star Wars world. And... You get to do it in cutting-edge visual and you know sound experience that is what made you know that being able to create those kinds of things is what sets Disney apart. It's what makes Disney Disney. And so yeah, it's outside of the park, which by the way just means you don't have to pay for admission to do it. I mean, you have to pay separately for the experience, I get that. But you don't have to have a park ticket to do it. And 
it's the opposite in a lot of ways of PhilharMagic. PhilharMagic is old technology, isolated, passive, and Star Wars VR experience is cutting-edge technology, collaborative, and uh, uh, active, right? You're working on something. You're, you're doing something. You're interacting with the environment. So, Michael, has my <laughs> impassioned plea gotten me anywhere pretty with you? Yeah, pretty loaded. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I just was um nice campaign speech. Right? Here's my issues. Here's my issues with the void. One, it is outside of the park. It is more accessible. However, it's an additional admission. It's got a 48-inch height requirement, so our younger viewers or younger kids aren't going to be able to attend. Um, how long is it actually going to stay at Disney Springs? Uh, with the upcoming NBA experience, is the void going to disappear when Star Wars Land and Galaxy's Edge opens up in Hollywood Studios, or are they going to migrate it over? I, I guess they will stay in Disney Springs. With all the negatives being said, it is light years above the technology in PhilharMagic. Um, I've had my niece and my nephew have done it and absolutely had a blast, got off of it, and wanted to go again, regardless of the price. Uh, with that said, yeah, let's go ahead and throw it out to the listeners and see what they say. I don't think a lot of people have experienced it. Well, that's true. That's the hardest part, For right? people that have ex- yeah, if people that have experienced, I mean, most, I would say most of our listeners, if you've been to the Magic Kingdom, have gone into PhilharMagic, if anything, for a break from the heat in the summer. Yeah, uh, as long as it's not usually, raining too much because it tends to flood. <laughs> it floods right at the entrance. Yes, it does. Uh, but there's never any line anymore. I mean, that's, uh, it, the gates open up and you walk in and you get your seat and you sit in there for the 15, 20 minutes that it goes on. Yeah, I think if I had experienced this yet, I would have probably gone for it. Because, again, like Paul said, I love Star Wars, too. But, you know, look, having not experienced it, I would probably, like I said, lead towards PhilharMagic because of the classic characters and the classic Disney. Right. And even technology aside. Right. I, know, I appreciate that. It, and, and frankly, you know, the thing that Michael said that pushed back to me the hardest really was the 48-inch the height requirement, which is a fairly substantial requirement. I mean, yeah. I, I think 48 inches is as, as tall as any height requirement at Walt Disney World. Yeah, it's the tallest, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So so just let's – I think I've muddied the waters enough that we need to go around and do a quick poll. So let's just go around the room here and, and figure out where we are in terms of the void a Star Wars VR experience versus Mickey's PhilharMagic. Um, let's see. Start uh, with Murray. Mickey's PhilharMagic. And Paul? Yeah, good arguments. Um, but I would still stay with PhilharMagic. Michael? The Void. All right. I'm going to make the tie. Um, so we now have a tie between The Void, a Star Wars VR experience, and Mickey's PhilharMagic. Um, we will toss that out to listeners and give you all a chance to vote. Um, but we have our first tie of the tournament. Makes perfect sense that it's an 8-9 matchup. But uh, we'll let the listeners decide who moves on from that matchup to round two. Now, round Aaron, just make sure, make sure they vote on it quickly because to Michael's point – It'll probably be replaced with another VR by like, you know, before this before the show even comes out. So <laughs> it, it is it is highly it is highly possible as Star Wars Land starts to uh, come into come into focus that it could disappear out of the springs. Right, it's possible. Um, you know, I think more than anything else, it it may be that we're getting a bit of a glimpse at the kind of thing that we're going to get in Galaxy's Edge here. I mean, I, I, I don't think that we're going to get a full, you know, VR experience like this. But, um, you know, look, we, we've seen the, the patent drawings for what appears to be, um, you know, a, a VR lightsa- lightsaber. Um, it could be a glimpse ahead. Just saying. 
So, um, all right, our next matchup is an, another interesting one, partially because of the time we're recording this. Um, so at the time we're recording, this is a matchup between uh, an Epcot attraction that is really, at this point, an institution. I mean, this is a reboot version of the attraction already, but it, it's it's the attraction that really is sort of the modern signature attraction, I think, for Epcot in Soarin' Over the World. It is matched up. The 12 seed here is primarily a 12 seed because nobody has ridden it at the time that we're recording this. Like, not just none of us. No one. No one has ridden Slinky Dog Dash. Now, by the time this airs, we will have just had the opening of Toy Story Land. So people will have had a chance to ride it. But let's be very clear that this matchup is based on the potential of this attraction and what we know about it so far, right? Because that's all we have to go on. Uh, so soaring over the world versus the potential of Slinky Dog Dash. Michael, which direction are you leaning? I'm actually leading towards an upset with uh, Slinky Dog Dash. And the reason I'm going to lean towards that is it has the chance to really give kids a roller coaster at Hollywood Studios. It's starting the expansion of Hollywood Studios, making it, turning it back into a full day park before it becomes, you know, absolute Armageddon with Galaxy's Edge uh, and impossible to get into. And it just, it seems like a good family time. Uh, soaring over the world, I love it. It's one of my favorite rides. Uh, the update from Soaring Over California as far as the image quality uh, is excellent. Uh, the smell-o-vision has improved quite a bit, uh, but there's still some skewing issues with soaring. Um, and it just seems that Toy Story, for the family side of it, Toy Story Land is much more geared to the 5- to 12-year-old crowd or the Disney guests with young kids. And I just, I know a lot of people, we haven't ridden it. I, in fact, uh, watched it run uh, before I got on the podcast here okay. just to see what it looked like. Sure. And it's, it is not a barnstormer coaster at all. It's similar as far as how the cars are kind of laid out uh, that you sit two by two. Um, but it is a launch coaster and it looks like it's got some pretty uh, not, it looks like a seven dwarfs mine train type thrill capability, but I mean, obviously time will tell uh, at the time that this there will actually have written it here because I'll be going there opening weekend. Okay. I'm going to be one good. of those crazy. I'm going to be one of those crazy fools that stands in line for four hours. We'll be looking forward to the report, <laughs> but it just, I just, I just think it has the chance to change Hollywood studios because right now Hollywood studios from five to 12, you can do a few things with the kids, but there's not a lot. They can't go on any roller coasters. They can't go on rock and roller coaster. They can go on Tower of Terror, but most of them get scared to death. So at least my children do. Right, right. All right. So so Michael has made the case for the the upstart Slinky Dog Dash. Um, I don't know. Murray, you want to make an argument here for Soren? Well, I, I was just listening to the podcast today on the um, – the preview for Toy Story Land. What is the height requirement for Slinky Dog Dash? Um, it, it's the same as uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, which is, I believe, 36 inches. It's either 36 or 39. Uh, Who's looking it up? I think it's, it's I got low. It. I, it's, um, where is it? Is it 32? Oh, this is an old list. Okay. I pulled up a wrong, a wrong list there as a. Uh, a uh, old list. So hold on one sec. Thirty-eight inches. Thirty-eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. So thirty-eight versus forty inch for Soren. Um. So I would tend to lead lean towards Soren, um, given the unknown, um, because I, I I just you know personally just love that attraction. I mean it's. Um, it's beautiful and it's, it's smooth and it, it, it just, it's one of my favorite attractions. Um, 
you know, it, everything they have with it, like, you know, the smell of vision and everything, just the transitions, I think, you know, and especially with the new updated version is just uh, stunning. So my vote goes for uh, Soren over the world. Okay. So we've got Soren with a vote. We've got Slinky Dog Dash with a vote. Paul, who wins? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought this would be easier when I first looked at it, but Michael makes a good point about adding something to Hollywood studios for the kids. Um, my daughter is 10 and loves, you know, um, the tower of terror and she does the rock and roller coaster. My son is six and outside uh, of, you know, star Wars and, this, and those things, star tours and star Wars land, he's not huge. So this would be a good ride for him. Like th- this is the type of ride because he likes the barnstorm. He likes the mine train. This would be right up his alley. So there is something to be said for that. Um, so I don't want to dismiss it out of hand, but that being said to Mari's point, it's the unknown and Soren's a great ride. I mean, an absolutely great ride. I like the update. I agree. Sometimes there's just some areas, depending on where you're sitting, it just looks, it's very odd how it you know tilts. But for the most part, that's a great ride. Um, probably the, you know, it, it doesn't make Epcot, but it's one of the bigger things at Epcot when you go ride it there. So just given that slinky dogs an unknown right now, and from what I've seen of it, while it looks like it would be good for the kids, it doesn't look like it's going to be a transcendent type of ride or anything that, you know, outside of the first month or so people are really going to wait in really long lines for, um, I, I gotta go with Soren on this one. I just, you know, I, I gotta go with it. All right. Well, I'm struggling with it. I'm going to have to throw this one to the listeners too. Uh, and, and there are really two major reasons that I feel like I've got to cast a vote for Slinky Dog Dash and put this in the hand of listeners to decide. And, and here's what it comes down to. Soren is a great attraction. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. Um, it is, one of the things that that I think is great about it is that it, it's what you could call a mild thrill attraction, right? I mean, it's it's got a little bit of thrill factor, but it's a gentle thrill, so everybody pretty much can enjoy it. Even my father, who's afraid of heights, enjoyed doing it once. I don't know that I'd get him to, on it to do it again, but he did it once and wasn't angry that I talked him into doing it. Um, but that said, as beautiful as that new digital film is the skewing in major chunks of the film. If you're not dead center in the theater is just inexcusable. I mean, they know better than this and they know, I know they know better than this because we didn't have this problem in the older version of the film. And it, it can't just be a matter of, of higher resolution. It's somebody got sloppy there's no reason that you know the the skewing of the Eiffel Tower and the Taj Mahal should affect what seems like a good two-thirds of each theater. Um, it's just way too much. And so that pulls Soren back a bit for me. And the other side of this is I, I think there's a lot to be said for Slinky Dog Dash really making Hollywood Studios not just an all-day park in general, but a friendlier park for the whole family. Um, you know, for, for a while here, there have been very limited options for a family with like a, a you know, a tween and a smaller child, right? Because you would have the tween who really wanted to ride all of the the Hollywood studio thrill rides. And then you've got that, you know, post toddler, but not quite tall enough to ride everything yet. Um, child who, you know, maybe has two or three things that they can do at Hollywood studios. that will keep their interest. So it, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference in the traffic flow of the park in ways that, you know, yeah, Soren is a huge destination draw. It pulls people to the park, but You've still got Frozen Ever After. You've still got Test Track, both of which are legit tier one fast pass attractions that draw a crowd. And 
I mean, I think of it this way. If Soren went down for a week so that they could fix the film, we would notice and people would be cranky about it, but it wouldn't make the park not worth visiting. For people with younger kids, if if we get to this post-Toy Story Land park and people, you know, get used to having it there and available, I feel like if Slinky Dog Dash were to go down for a week because they needed to fix something, there would be people who would just pull Hollywood Studios out of their plans for the week. They'd go somewhere else because they'd be concerned that there wasn't enough to keep their kids engaged. Like right now. Well, and like I said, I mean, there are plenty of people who are doing that now. I mean, I don't. I think there's plenty of stuff to do, and, and there are things that we enjoy doing, even though my son won't ride Tower of Terror. But there are a lot of folks with kids under 10 or kids under 8 that either avoid Hollywood Studios entirely or they show up to do, you know, uh, breakfast with the Disney Junior crowd and ride Toy Story and then get out of the park. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right there, but I just... I think this is a good one for you know for the the, the crowd to, to vote on as well to to see what people think. But I just think that's putting that you you got a lot of ifs. There's a lot of ifs in that statement because no one's written it, no one's well, seen it, true. no one's done it. So for that to and hey, if it wins out, cool. But for that to take precedent, you know, to win out over a ride that you you know everybody generally says they love and is a big ride. Maybe it will once we see it and see the impact on the park. I just feel like it's so early. You know what I mean? It's like you right. know, you draft a good NBA player and then you say your team's <laughs> saved. Like the guy hasn't played a game yet, you know? Right, right. And uh, it feels like that. Let's just it hope it's not like a. That, but. Let's hope it's not a Joel Embiid that needs you know three rounds of surgery before it shows us anything. Trust the process, man. You know the. Uh, <laughs> That's why I, I don't disagree with you guys. I just think it's way too early. But let's see. Let's see what everybody thinks. All right. Yeah, I I agree with Paul. I think it just you know going the known over the unknown here is just uh, this uh, my bet the safer bet. Um, you know, from what we've seen, it looks like a good coaster, but we don't know that yet because we haven't ridden it. Sure. So sure. Um, you know, I think definitely going over with Soren is is you know, but like Paul said, we'll leave it to the to the masses to to decide what goes forward. And by then, people have, will have ridden it. So, All right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So uh, two ties in a row here, an 8-9 tie, now a 5-12 tie. The 4-13 matchup is essentially old-school Animal Kingdom versus new-school Animal Kingdom. Four-seed Expedition Everest against 13-seed Navi River Journey. So uh, let's see. Uh, I think we're back to having Paul get us started. So, Paul, pick one and make an argument. Yeah. Um, I will go with Expedition Everest. Fairly, I feel pretty strong about it. I, um, I like the Navi River Journey. We did it um, as a family on our trip down in March. Everybody liked it. I mean, the big animatronic towards the end there, the shaman or whatever, the singing, um, incredibly impressive. The whole ride's impressive. I mean, it's cool. Um, but we walked off it and said, that was a great ride. Don't care if I don't do it again for the rest of the ride. It's not like it was Flight of Passage, <laughs> you know, for the rest of the trip. It's, it's, it's not Flight of Passage. It's not something that you have to go on every time you're there. Um, Expedition Everest, if you are – you know, a thrill ride junkie. And there are a lot of people who still do go to the parks for the thrill rides, or at least really enjoy the thrill rides as part of their park experience. Um, man, Expedition Everest is about as good as it gets. That ride, you know, even, and I've talked about this on past podcasts, I wish they would fix the animatronic on the Yeti. That would be, it was so cool back in the day when it actually came down. I wish they fixed it. That's kind of a, it's a little bit of a negative against it, but it's a big negative, but even with that, that's a great ride. And you come up, the view you get from the top, you know, flying backwards, that whole roller coaster. That's, you know, we'll do that as many times as we can, you know, depending on lines when we're there. I can't say that about the river journey. And I know the river journey is people say, hey, it's more accessible to kids and stuff like that. And I agree. But 
I just think that for what Expedition Everest brings for a throw rod, especially that park, um, it definitely wins out. It, for me, it definitely wins out in this matchup. All right. So Paul makes a, a strong argument there for Expedition Everest. Uh, Michael or Murray, when do you want to argue with him here? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally. No, Finally. No. All right. So we have a, our first yeah. walkover of the tournament. Yeah, pretty much. Um, everything Paul said. I mean, I went on this ride uh, the week it opened. I was uh, able to be there in 2006 in March, the week it opened. And like Paul said, when that Yeti worked, it was awesome. Um, but, you know, now we're stuck with, uh, as I call it, Disco Yeti. But um, it, um, you know, I haven't been on Nav River Journey yet, but, it, you know, the video and everything I've seen looks amazing. The animatronic is amazing. But it, Expedition is one of my favorite rides. And like Paul said, I go on as much as I can whenever I'm there. Yeah, sure. And to, to jump in on that, Navi River Journey, River Journey is a it's a good ride. Uh, it's way too short. It needs to be about twice as long. Mm, good be, point. That's I mean, it point. just, by yeah. the time you, you wait in line for the hour, you get on the ride and you're on the ride for like three and a half minutes, you get off of it and you're like, wow, this is visually stunning. It was really good. And we're done. Yeah. And it's just too short. Everest is, uh, yeah. Everest is just an iconic animal kingdom ride. Yeah. No, I, I and don't, it's an ex- yeah, I don't think there's anything to argue with here. I, I, I think it's very clear. It's a walkover for expedition Everest. Um, not even really an argument to be made here for Navi river journey. And that's not a knock on Navi river journey. It's a well done dark ride. It just can't compete with, in my estimation, in my opinion, the best roller coaster at Walt Disney World. I mean, Rock and Roller Coaster is cool. Everest is the best coaster at Walt Disney World. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we continue to the second half here of the bracket, and we start with the number six seed, our first uh, live show of the tournament, Festival of the Lion King, matching up with the second live show of the tournament. I, I promise I didn't manipulate the bracket. It just came out this way. Number six, Festival of the Lion King against number 11, Finding Nemo the Musical. So, Michael, which Animal Kingdom show is the better show? Um, being that I've seen both quite often, uh, Festival of the Lion King, it's just, it's a more upbeat show. Um, the crowd seems to get in it, into it a lot more. There's motion. There's not really a bad seat in the house. Uh, Nemo just, you know, Nemo is good for the little kids, you know, with, uh, the little, the fish puppets and things of that nature. But just for me and my family, it's definitely festival of the lion King. It's just, it's just a good time. It's good. It's loud. It's fun. There's a lot of movement, a lot of things going on. Okay, so uh, Paul or Murray, either of you want to argue with him? Murray, you no. go. I yeah. want to go there. Go okay. ahead. Um, yeah, no, I agree with him. Um, I thought Funny Nemo, Funny Nemo, the musical is uh, is good, but it you know kind of drags a little bit. Uh, where Festival of the Lion King is more like Michael said, upbeat and and draws you in a little bit more and more crowd participation and. Um, uh, you know, over the two, I, I, Lion King's one of my favorites, um, as it is. So, um, as a whole, um, you know, from the Broadway show to the, to the movie, to, uh, the show, uh, Festival of the Lion King, uh, all of it is just, uh, one of my favorites to begin with. So it would definitely be Lion King for me. All right. So Paul, is it, is it, you know, uh, just a less dramatic walkover is, is Lion King just going to roar through here? Yeah, I wanted to see. I wanted to hear what those guys had to say because this one probably, out of all of the out of all the matchups tonight, this one uh, maybe not, but closer. I struggled with. I really struggled with this one, and um, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I actually like both shows. I've done them both more times than I can count. Um, enjoy them with the kids. Michael makes a great point. The family interaction in the Lion King one is really cool. Um, they get the kids and, and parents involved more. There's more crowd interaction, but Nemo's kind of cool. It's got you know, it's it's kind of funny, and they, they they do some cool stuff with the lighting and and the you know the the whole puppetry and everything like that. So um, 
I was on the fence. It, it, I wouldn't, you know, I don't feel strongly either way. I'll go with Finding Nemo just to give it a vote, but um, but I definitely don't feel that strongly if if Festival Lion King walks away with it. But I'll uh, my my gut initially was Finding Nemo, so I'm just going to stick with that because I think it's that close for me. See, here's leave the, it to you. Here, here's the thing, um, and and people who've heard me talk about this are probably going to be surprised at the way I handle this, but um, on a personal level, I prefer the Finding Nemo show. I just think it's more um, artistically unique and creative. There's just nothing like it, at least not anywhere else at Walt Disney World. I mean, the closest thing to it is some of the puppetry in in the Fantasmic show, but but even that, I mean, it, it's a one-off thing in Fantasmic. It, it is the show at, at Finding Nemo, and they do such a wonderful job with those oversized puppets. I love that they did all new songs for it. And, you know, they, they've got really creative. Um, I mean, if you think about it, Frozen is Finding Nemo the Musical's fault, right? Because that was the Andersons sort of beginning of doing composing for, for Disney is that they did the music for Finding Nemo the Musical. Um, you know, and, and since then they've done a couple of movies now and it's, it's been a great thing for Disney. Um, but all that said, as much as I love finding me with a musical, the rest of my family prefers Festival of the Lion King. And it's kind of hard to say that, you know, the one that, has fire loses right i mean the one the, the show that plays with fire i feel like gets a, a bonus point sure sure so as much as it pains me to do it personally i think that i think that festival of the lion king advances here All right. Uh, so, gosh, got to watch those long-winded excuses for myself, right? Um, <laughs> so, this is a three fourteen matchup that uh, pairs two attractions that are you know not too far from each other. They're in different lands: Liberty Square versus uh, Rivers of America, but you know, frontier land near each other. Um, we have number three, Haunted Mansion, and number fourteen, Tom Sawyer Island. Sort of the place you take the kid who won't go in Haunted Mansion, right? <laughs> Something to do while everybody else is at Haunted Mansion. Um, I guess, uh, let's see, I think this is this is Murray's chance to, to pick one and make an argument for. Oh, without a doubt, Haunted Mansion. Um, this is just um, the quintessential, uh, you know, is that keyword we like I to throw it, out. Yeah, there it's we our, go. our first keyword. Yeah, yeah but uh, it's, you know... Tom Sawyer Islands is okay, you know. Like I said, it's a what you take, where you take the kids to blow off some little steam. But yeah, I have to go with what I mentioned. It's it is my favorite ride. Um, as most of you know, I'm a funeral director, so um, you know this uh, kind of uh, you know hits home a little bit even more. Um, you know, especially the uh, part about uh, you know remember to bring your death certificate because I can help you get those. So um, so. <laughs> So it uh, it uh, it definitely um, hits home a little bit more than than most. So um, I wear my haunted mansion shirt proudly. Okay, uh, so Murray makes the argument for uh, haunted mansion. Uh, anybody want to try and defend Tom Sawyer Island here? No, absolutely no. <laughs> okay, he's right on. <laughs> Murray's right on. It's it's you know. Tom Sawyer Island's fine, I guess. It's fine. But Haunted Mansion is its a great ride. It's classic. There's a ton to it. Um, I think it could stack up against a lot of these in this bracket, not just you know a 14 seed in Tom Sawyer's Island. So, yeah, for me, this was a layup. Oh, absolutely. Completely agree. And with the queue expansion uh, for the standby line, it's even 
It yeah. even helps out quite a bit. It used to be you just stood in line, and now there's actually something to do in the line about halfway through. Yeah, my boys loved that queue expansion this time. It was uh, it was great. All right, so walkover win for Haunted Mansion, a three seed blowing away the 14, uh, gets us to a 7-10 matchup. Now, normally these are expected to be pretty close, but this is a bit of an unusual 7-10. Um, the, the seven seed here is a major parade, a 10 seed classic attraction. We have both from the Magic Kingdom, Festival of Fantasy Parade against the Walt Disney World Railroad. So, Paul, who are you making an argument yeah. for? Um, I am going, you know, I guess it's a slight upset every year in the in the tournament. There's a couple 10 seeds that win on average, so not that big of an upset, but I would go for, uh, you know, I would go for the railroad. I um, The parade, it's a decent parade, you know, when it's not a complete fire hazard and threatening <laughs> the lives of thousands of people <laughs> watching it. Um, that may or may not be an issue, you know, if, if the, you know, things keep lighting on fire and threatening to kill people. But other than that, great parade, um, during a real hot time of the day, not always the best time to watch it, which not the parade's fault, but it does go against it. Cause that's when you get to see it, right. Is it three o'clock when it comes through and it's hot, um, literally and figuratively. And, um, you know, it's it's just not it's not always the best time, especially if you have kids. If you're taking time, you know, breaks in the afternoons and stuff like that. Um, but more on the side of the railroad, I think that you know the railroad's in a really important piece of that park, and um, it's an important if you're a you know Walt Disney fan kind of historian. Um, his love of railroads, and you know the. Carol was the Carolwood Pacific and everything that he did in his his house and that he brought it to the park and and just kind of knowing when you see that um, the train come around the influence that it had on Walt and that it had on Walt creating the park um, for me personally just knowing the history and reading the books and stuff there is something to that that just and I'm not saying we ride it every time I'm saying when we get on it my kids get excited about it. But that railroad speaks to kind of the larger mythos of the park and of Walt Disney World um, and why Walt created it. So it definitely does, you know, I have a, a much stronger kind of feeling towards the railroad. If they were to, you know, get rid of one and the other, I would be heartbroken if they got rid of the railroad. Whereas if they got rid of the parade and did another parade, you'd be like, okay, you know, we'll see what they come. So um, my long-winded way of saying I, I'm going with the railroad. All right, so Paul makes a somewhat impassioned argument there for the railroad. Uh, somebody want to want to argue with him and uh, defend the honor of the Festival of Fantasy Parade? Well, I had um, like this. This one was a tough for me. I do like the parade, and uh, you know, fire hazard aside, uh, you know, as we you know, as we're recording this uh, two weeks ago, the dragon caught on fire. I don't think that. That is my favorite piece of the parade. So right now, it's my favorite piece isn't in the parade. Um, and then, as Paul said, with I didn't even think of the history, historical aspect and the historical significance of the railroad. But it is also the first thing I do in the park. Whenever I go to Magic Kingdom, the, the first thing I do is get, hop on that railroad and take a grand circle tour around the park. Um, and you know, so my two sons that was the first ride they had ever been on um and so i i i think uh like i said it was tough but i think uh, you know even paul convinced me even more to lean towards the railroad okay so we have two votes for the railroad michael is there no redemption here for festival of fantasy uh no redemption i am also i am also in the railroad corner uh I, when i first saw it i kind of kicked it back and forth but parades come and go and they change quite a bit at disney world you know we've you always have that afternoon parade but the theme changes like every five to ten years so the railroad is iconic disney i mean they added to toontown stop they're going to have to modify the track when the tron light cycle coaster comes but for the most part when you're going all the way around, it hasn't changed since when the Magic Kingdom was built. 
they integrated in Splash Mountain extremely well into the train station. And it's it's always one of those must-dos. It's, you know, old Disney aficionados like ourselves like the train. Young kids love the train because they get the train stickers from the engineers that are looks like they're sweating, you know, 20 pounds of water off every half hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just, and I remember when those uh, trains used to be uh, not as clean as they are now. Sure. Um, but it's just, it's just a great fun ride and just, it's, it's not a thrill ride. It is, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, you go in, that's the first thing you see when you walk into Walt Disney world is the train in the train station. And when they used to do the opening ceremony at the front gate, before they did it up at the hub, uh, the train was always in the station. So the train was part of the show. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, you make good argument. I'm a little stunned here. Um, I absolutely love the Festival of Fantasy Parade. I think that it it was at the time, um, but still to this day is the most innovative parade that Walt Disney World has seen, you know, since the the first time that, uh, you know, the, the, the electoral parade rolled down main street at, at Walt Disney world. Um, the kinetics in the parade are beyond anything we had seen at Walt Disney world before. Um, even without the fire breathing dragon and gosh, that fire breathing dragon is cool. Um, I'm, I'm a little stunned. Uh, we, we always have one of these and you know, it's a seven ten. It's not that, that I guess far, you know, out of left field, but wow. Three, nothing. I don't even get yeah. to say. Yeah, it was it was tough. I'm like, like all those things you you said is why I love the parade, the kinetics, the you know, the different elements, the innovation. But it, like, it, the historical significance alone, uh, I had to go with the railroad. Okay, so the railroad will advance to round two in our first uh, real upset here, and uh, we get. Our final matchup of this round, this is uh, another nighttime spectacular show against the attraction that spawned our Diz Dad's uh, uh, obsession isn't the right word, aversion maybe to the the Q word. Uh, It's Illuminations, Reflections of Earth, matched up with Living with the Land. And uh, Michael, where are you going to go in Epcot? Even though I really don't care for the Illumination show against Living with the Land, um, it's absolutely Illuminations. Uh, It's what you do at Epcot at night other than drink around the world, or even when you're drinking around the world, you pop out and look look at the pretty fireworks up in the sky and the giant earth that's spinning and turns on fire. Um, Living with the Land is just, it's dated. Uh, it needs some kind of refurbishment. Illuminations needs a little bit of uh, refurbishment as well, but it's just it. Illuminations really just is light years above living with the land. They're not even in the same league. Okay, so Illuminations is Michael's call. Anybody want to argue for the quintessential living with the land? I do. I do. I, I, I saw this one and, and I struggled with it. This was the one that I think was, I probably had the, the toughest time with because Illuminations, I love that show. And if you know me, my favorite thing to do is get a beer and pretzel in Germany and then stand and watch the show. Well, my favorite thing to do is get a beer and pretzel in Germany any time of the day. But if you can stand and watch the fireworks show while you're doing it, even better. That being said, if you back up, what was it now? Six years when we did the the quintessential um, tournament, it was me and Chris Carroll who fought <laughs> for a living with the land. So I've got a lot of skin in this game on living with the land and standing behind you know my slightly younger, probably a lot more inebriated self when I fought for that to be the quintessential um, Disney park attraction and. 
there's a lot of history with the Diz Dads. And we're going to talk about the history of the Diz Dads now, not just Walt Disney World Park. And um, Walt Disney World. There's a lot of, of history with the Diz Dads in Quintessential and that, you know, that ride being the quintessential <laughs> Disney World attraction. Well, and, and specifically quintessential Epcot attraction. Epcot, yes. I cannot sit here as, you know, a card-carrying Diz Dad and just let that one get walked over. I feel like we owe it to the dads to give that a shot because, you know, it is a good ride. I do like it. I do think, you know, there's a lot to it. And um, I think if you do the behind the scenes tour and stuff, there's, there are things to it that even add on to it and make it a little bit more, but um, more for, more for the Diz dad's history and kind of what we've gone through with that. I got, you know, I got to stand up for it. I have to. Okay. So Paul seemingly talks himself into a vote for living with the land. Um, Michael, set the stage with a vote for eliminations. Uh, Murray, who's right? Uh, I have to go with Michael on this one. Um, Illuminations, Reflections of Earth is one of my favorite soundtracks um, alone. Just the, even the soundtrack alone, let alone when you actually are there on in World Showcase to watch it, um, is, you know, one of my favorites. Um, I'd even, you know, if it ever got to it, I would put this up against... Uh, happily ever after um but that said it does need an updating which is coming but i i definitely have to go with illuminations on this it's like i said one of my favorites and uh like you know living land is good um you know it's interesting but it's it's no illuminations in my book okay uh so it comes to me i have the opportunity to make a tie here if i want to I hear what you're saying, Paul, and and I do, um, you know, feel the the tug on the heartstrings for this tournament, uh, you know, in its incarnation six years ago. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I could have been persuaded. Here's the thing: as much as I personally love living with the land, I thought y'all were wrong six years ago. <laughs> I know you did. I didn't think I had much of a shot in this battle. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, knew, I knew seeing that last, it was a good one to go last, because I knew I'd come in guns a-blazing, and I would just get gunned down at every turn. <laughs> but God, well, God well, if I wasn't going to give it one last stand. Here, here's the more important part for me. It was a good stand. It was. It was. But bottom line, I can sit at Rose and Crown with a Scotch flight and enjoy Illuminations. You're not wrong. They will not let me bring my Scotch flight on Living with the Land. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. There, there, there are. There's a lot to be said about the, you know, the, the access to alcohol for for uh, for illuminations. I, 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 like I said, I completely agree. But I couldn't let this one go down without a fight. I just felt like I owed it. You know, I owed it to the podcast and to the history of this club to just. If I was the one who who fought for it six years ago. I was going to be the one to fight for it tonight, but I'm not. You guys are not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, Illuminations will advance. We have our round complete, um, obviously, except for the the two ties we had early. So uh, let me just do a a quick recap of how things shook out in this round. Um, First, we had Happily Ever After versus Rivers of Light. Despite an impassioned argument for Rivers of Light, Happily Ever After advanced. 8-9 8-9 matchup, uh, The Void, Star Wars VR experience against Mickey's Magic. We've got a tie there that we'll be throwing to the listeners for a resolution on. We also have a tie in the 5-12 matchup that followed it. That's uh, Soarin' Over the World versus Slinky Dog Dash. And remind people that when these votes were cast, it's a, it's a speculative vote for Slinky Dog. Um, nobody's ridden it yet because the land hasn't opened. Um 412 matchup, Expedition Everest in an easy victory over Navi River Journey. Uh, then we had the six seed Festival of Lion King squeaking past Finding Nemo the Musical. Haunted Mansion, the three seed, in a complete walkover over Tom Sawyer Island. A surprise upset in the 710 matchup as the Walt Disney World Railroad beat the uh, perhaps flamed out Festival of Fantasy Parade. And finally, Illuminations upsets, maybe, 
just Paul. <laughs> Illuminations beats the 15 seed Living with the Land uh, eh, pretty readily, despite a uh, nostalgic pitch from Paul. So, gentlemen, as we're wrapping up here, I uh, just want to do, you know, real quickly go around, maybe share one thing about this round that that surprised you, that you didn't expect, um, or uh, just kind of uh, uh, struck you as odd. And uh, let's see, let's let's go first to Murray. Uh, first thing was just the, the I guess, the two ties. Um you know, the, especially with the unknown of the slinky dog, um, that we don't know anything about yet. So I think that was definitely the, uh, the shock for me that going forward, um, that, that, you know, would advance, you know, advance to a tie, uh, over Soren, uh, Soren, especially being, like I said, uh, for the first time, the, you know, the, the Q word, um, for Epcot. And so I think, definitely think it was, uh, that surprised me the most. Okay. Uh, how about you, Michael? What surprised you? Uh, the placement of Rivers of Light uh, as a 16 seed, I just, it doesn't fit. Um, it's much better than a 16 seed. It's, you know, it's better than living with the land. Sorry, Paul. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it, it really is as far as the, the type of show it is. And the fact that it is the nighttime spectacular for animal kingdom, just that, that one sixteen matchup. I just was not, not a fan because they're both good shows. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about you, Paul? Anything uh, that, that struck you in particular in this round? I mean, I'm still reeling over the, the, the defeat of the quintessential ride in Epcot. I mean, <laughs> that was, that was literally two minutes ago. So to come back and throw it at me, that, that was, the, you know, but Let's put that aside. Um, I'm going to agree with Mari. The, the Slinky Dog Dash one being a tie is just, it just, uh, I don't get it. It just, I don't, especially beating Soren, which again, can have its issues. But, um, you know, just the unknown, it's the unknown. It, it, it could be great, but it could suck. I mean, who knows, right? So to have that kind of tie uh, Soren to me was surprising, but, um, but that's what makes these fun. All right. Well, so you all have heard our opinion. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. With regard to two matchups in particular, we need to hear from you. But we'd love to hear from you in general about the show or about um, other things you'd like to hear us talking about, any of those kinds of things. You can email us at podcast at disdads.com. Visit our blog, disdads.com. Tweet us at disdadspodcast on Twitter. Or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disdadspodcast. Hey, and if you've got an extra minute, we'd really appreciate a review. Um, Those iTunes reviews are the ones that make the biggest impact. Uh, They just, regardless of what uh, source you use to listen to the show itself, um, those iTunes uh, search results have a huge impact on how easy it is for new listeners to find the show when they do a search. So uh, if you could take a minute, give us that iTunes review, we'd very much appreciate it. Until next time, I've been Aaron Ripmaster with Murray Conway. See you real soon. Michael Ty. Have a good night. And Paul. Let's listen to the land, people. Let's just listen to the land. Our outro music is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLeod. Kevin McLeod releases his song on Incompetech.com under the Creative Commons license. He asks for Creative Commons by attribution, So, hey, Kevin, thanks for the song.